Welcome to the Yoga Meets Movement Science podcast. I'm Jenny Rawlings, a longtime yoga teacher and educator, and I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Travis Pollan, an exercise science professor and a longtime yogi himself. Together, we take a science-based look at many of the common questions, myths, and controversies that arise in the realms of yoga, movement, and fitness. Join us on this crash course where the worlds of yoga and movement science collide. Welcome to episode 21 of the Yoga Meets Movement Science podcast. Our topic of discussion today is the topic of asymmetry. Asymmetry. So in general, there tends to be just this kind of intuitive belief or bias that I that I'm sure most of us probably share or can relate to, which is just this belief that things are just more ideal or more optimal, especially when it comes to like the human body, when things are symmetrical, meaning like the same side to side. And there's just kind of this intuitive idea that when things are asymmetrical or different side to side, and this might be in like how someone's body looks or like is aligned. It also might be in terms of more like movement, like how the body moves side to side, but there are ideas that when uh, the two sides are different or asymmetrical, that this can predispose someone to or increase their likelihood of things like pain, injury. Sometimes I even hear like um, like health claims, like that when when things are asymmetrical, it can yeah be like even bigger bigger than that. So anyway, there's just this bias that sym- symmetry is be- is optimal and ideal, and asymmetry is like leads to dysfunction and is non optimal. So. That's what we're here to talk about today, because this topic, it comes into play in so many of the fields that like Travis and I are part of and tune into. And for starters, uh, the yoga world, in um, in my experience in yoga, and I think Travis would share in this as well, but as far as symmetry goes, I tend to experience that, like that these ideas that when we practice yoga or take a yoga class, that it's really important that we always do the same thing on both sides. So that's kind of one, like, like our, our sequences need to be symmetrical and we'd be left imbalanced if we didn't do the same thing on both sides. And then um, these ideas about symmetry also come into play, like I mentioned earlier, but just in terms of like how one aligns their body and if they have certain, you know, d- differences in alignment side to side, that some there are these ideas that that can be um, lead to pain and dysfunction. That kind of falls more in the realm of maybe like physiotherapy or physical therapy, I would say, whereas what I just talked about with thinking about yoga sequences side to side is kind of more yoga or like movement classes in general. And then another place that symmetry can come into or another field that symmetry comes into play is kind of more in the strength and conditioning or like the fitness side. And in that realm, we often hear discussions about things like symmetry and asymmetry in terms of say side to side differences uh, for strength, like what if your right arm is stronger than your left arm um, or range of motion, maybe your right hip is more more mobile than your left hip, things like that. Uh, so I think there are, there are a lot of discussions about asymmetry in these fields and whether having these asymmetries can lead someone to um, be more likely to experience an injury, like maybe when strength training or when practicing their sport 
or any athletic endeavor. So those are kind of like the, these realms that this topic uh, can arise in, at least in, in what Travis and I tend to tune into. That's kind of what, what we're planning to focus on today. And I wanted to just kind of start us off with, or just kind of establish the term symmetry and just what a technical definition for symmetry actually is. So this comes from uh, a review paper by Maloney from 2019. And this was a paper that looked at uh, the connection between asymmetry and athletic performance. But Maloney in this paper defined symmetry as the quality to demonstrate an exact correspondence of size, shape, and form when split along a given axis. So to me, when I hear that, to me, that kind of comes across as like, like symmetry visually, like how something looks like form wise. But in what we're going to talk about today, uh, we're kind of expanding that definition of symmetry to include things like movement and motor abilities, like actually how the body might move and symmetry in that sense too. So just super briefly, our plan for what we're going to talk about today, our plan is to, to first take a look at um, body alignment and symmetry. So kind of like posture, things like that. Then we want to take a look, a, a deeper look at symmetry and how it comes into play in the yoga world and like in yoga classes. Then we want to take a look at symmetry in terms of more the movement, uh, things like strength differences, range of balance differences, things like that. And finally, we wanted to have Travis uh, talk about his experience living in a body that actually is a significantly asymmetrical body. And um, for our listeners who actually maybe have only listened to our podcast and have never seen photos or videos of myself and of Travis, you might not know this about Travis, but he actually has a significant asymmetry in his body. And do, would you, can you tell us about that, Travis? Like what that asymmetry is? Sure. So I'm an amputee, but I'm actually, I was born an amputee. So I was born with a rare birth defect called proximal femoral focal deficiency. So for our anatomy lovers out mm -hmm. there, proximal means close to the body, focal, I don't know why it's called focal, <laughs> femoral is the femur or thigh bone. And deficiency means the absence. So I was born without my left thigh. Mm -hmm. I had uh, I have a tibia and fibula, and I had a foot on the end of that leg, which I had amputated when I was three. So I'm effectively an above the knee amputee, but I my residual limb is not what would be typical for someone who is born with normal anatomy and then loses their leg traumatically above the knee because they would have a normal thigh. Whereas my oh, hip structure yeah. is much wonkier because <laughs> uh, my tib fib kind of float in the acetabulum, but there's not like a very good joint articulation there. So uh, my hip kind of is a little bulbous right. out to the side. And I, I actually have the most, uh, the most severe uh, classification of it. So there are four different classes and oh, mine wow. is the class four or class D. And so that's just like the, the almost complete or complete absence of the femur. Uh, the other, if you had lesser classifications, you might have some femur and then your, your leg might mm -hmm. only be a little short, but my leg is about half the length as length. my, my short leg is about half as long as my long leg. So I wear a prosthetic leg 
to walk mm -hmm. that includes a prosthetic knee and a prosthetic ankle foot. Wow. Thank you for describing that for us. I think you really like thoroughly explained. Uh, and I think that's interesting because you mentioned like the acetabulum, which is that's the hip socket in the pelvis, like where, where no normally like the head of the femur, like that ball would articulate and that makes the hip joint. So for you, you don't, you don't have the head of the femur because you. Right. Have... I don't have a femur. Yeah. yeah. So it just, it just kind of all goes together. It's, mm -hmm. it's really more of a knee at my hip oh, wow. uh, because it's, because it's the tib and fib. Um, I haven't looked at the x-rays in a while and like, yeah. I'm not even sure what the musculature is. Like, is the muscle, like, I feel a muscle in the back of my residual limb, but is that uh gastrocnemius or is that hamstring Glutes. or is it some Glutes. Some there's definitely oh glutes. you mean like so yeah you mean lower, like lower. Down. Yeah. yeah 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 and I have oh, like hip hip flexors but are yeah. they is that rectus femoris oh right I guess it, like I probably is yeah definitely those things because like I'm not affected anywhere above the hip or waist mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. since that kind of originates right. higher up um, I see but also like what is a muscle like we kind of. <laughs> We talked about that before, we, right? We make these de like definitions for it, but if your body is has developed differently, then absolutely, who knows? yeah. So I, I can articulate my quote unquote hip in all of the different directions of abduction, adduction. So bring the leg in and out in the frontal plane, and then mm -hmm. flexion, extension, uh, and and rotation, and rotation internal and external. But my range of motion for some of those movements isn't that great, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. especially my active range of motion, but that's just because my hip is inherently weaker than the average right. hip. And, uh, but yeah, even, even like passive hip flexion, I, I only can go so far. So then mm -hmm. I, my, I start to pelvic tilt because I run out of hip flexion. Mm -hmm. So like in my chair pose that we talked yeah. about mm -hmm. in a previous like episode, la I think like, last episode. I, I tend to tuck uh, fairly early on mm -hmm. in the range of motion, which is fine. I remember in one of our really earlier collaborations together, we did some, oh, I think I, it was a video of you doing a sun salutation. And I, I don't know if you remember this, but we shared it through my social media and like someone. Had I do a, remember this. You, you do. Do you know what I'm going to, like their comment about your forward folds and they were like, but what about his forward fold like that? I, they, they were like disapproving of as you forward folded into Uttanasana that that your pelvis tucked under and your low back rounded. Yeah. And do you, you remember that? Yeah. You, you came to my defense. I did. You're right. I did. I commented back to her. I tried to be, you know, not like aggressive or angry, but I was just like, hello. He, he doesn't move necessarily the same. Maybe, as... maybe she's listening now and she has a better yeah. understanding. That's but it, so it's... If someone were had a different limb difference and they had a regular, a typical development of their hip socket, then there might not have been as anatomical, let's say, of a reason why that would be occurring compared to my limb difference being so atypical. Mm -hmm. It just, not that it's ever correct to look at somebody and be like, you're doing it wrong. Right. You just don't know the story. Um, right. But, but I, I, the case could be made for, in most cases, like that, that person maybe could 
if whatever was happening was happening in someone with a normal hip uh, anatomy, mm-hmm. maybe that would be, maybe that would be atypical or there, mm-hmm. that, that could be something that they maybe would want to try to address. But for me, I, that's just how I am. Right. Right. Totally. And so it's, it's easy to make assumptions, I guess, when we look at other people and how they move, but absolutely. Well, we had a plan to find out a little bit more about your experience in your body and in like the yoga world and, and the fitness world, things like that, maybe more toward the end of our conversation. We kind of have introduced it a little bit now because we have talked about that a bit, but, but in talking about this, this kind of gives us a good segue into kind of our first major topic that we wanted to address with regard to asymmetry, which was the idea, which was um, body alignment and posture and Mm -hmm. how, what people's bodies look like side to side. So um, I think this is a good way of kind of introducing that you have a a very significant asymmetry in terms of your alignment and also and your posture too, right, Travis? Like, I just, I'm sorry, they're they're like the same, but like how, how you hold yourself versus like, if you were just like lying down and someone looked at you, there's like that alignment and then there's posture, like how your Mm -hmm. nervous system arranges you, but there are um, necessarily some asymmetries there as well, right? Totally. As far as how you hold yourself. Yeah. And so we want to take a look at that in general because we find that alignment and posture tend to be things that people think of when someone has, say, like pain in their body. It that pain and we're talking kind of chronic pain, pain that lasts longer. We're not talking so much about like an acute injury, which that's generally short term. But people who have, and this is a great many people, it's like the most common type of pain is longer term chronic pain. And quite often, there's this belief that when people have pain, we can blame it on something like body alignment or posture. And there are many different ways to think about body alignment or posture. Today, we really just want to think about the idea of symmetry and like things looking different side to Mm -hmm. side. So, uh, right. Cause there are a lot of different ways we're going to figure about po- that's just bad posture, blah, blah, blah. But, um, but just these ideas that if someone were to be symmetrical from side to side or quote balanced, if they looked the same side to side, then they would naturally avoid pain. Like the, these ideas. Yeah. And there are a lot of, um, a lot of examples of those in the body, you know, like maybe someone has one shoulder higher than the other mm-hmm. one side of the pelt. Like there are a lot we wanted to pull out just as a good example, because we think many people can relate to this, um, the example of a leg length discrepancy. Right. Which I have one. <laughs> Travis, I have you... a, a very, very significant <laughs> leg length discrepancy. You so, actually... so much so that part of my leg is missing. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. And you have, you wear a prosthesis to, uh, to make up for that, to like even right. things out. Right. Which is maybe a more extreme example than most people think of when <laughs> they think Absolutely. of a leg length discrepancy. Absolutely. So, so your, yours is kind of an exceptional leg length discrepancy, but. Yeah. Although to be honest, I do think when I was born, that is a measurement that the doctors take to try even for even for people who are like clearly missing half of a leg like well what is the what's the limb what's the difference you know Mm -hmm. in inches or in percentage and then that's maybe how they classify start to classify you and then further with x-ray uh like into the the different classes of proximal femoral focal deficiency or or whatever it is because 
the the one thing I should have mentioned is like for those uh, lower classifications, they might not there might not be a surgical intervention. For instance, if the leg length discrepancy was small, there are well actually this would be a surgical intervention. They can do bone lengthening where they put oh, like, yeah. these internal fixations in and then the bone grows. To stimulate the grow to bone to grow longer. Yeah. So you can try to even that out. And then also like people just sometimes will walk with a larger oh, uh, yeah. foot. Like a heel, word? a heel lift. Yeah. But it would, it would actually be throughout the whole sole of the, it might just be like a shoe that's built up an inch on yes. the bottom. Uh, yes. Like a specially so made shoe. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, if Gosh, yeah. the if the leg length discrepancy is small, then you can well even small to somewhat like I've seen people with six inch or ten inch or twelve like big right. big big ups uh, to mm-hmm. to even out even things out without going the the amputation route. Right, that makes so there are these or without other... going the prosthetic route. Right. Right, just uh, shoe height, like different mm-hmm. shoe heights to kind of even things out. That makes a yeah. lot of sense. Um, and then those are definitely more like on the on the larger side of leg length discrepancies. Right. We also have these kind of, especially compared to that, they just seem super minor. But there are these uh, more, more minor measurements of leg length discrepancies that are in the millimeters, basically. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's like somewhere like zero like if your legs are the same that's zero millimeter difference but it can go up to um you know like 20 millimeters something like that or or more i i see this fairly commonly measured but that Mm -hmm. might just be the circles that i run in so i'm wondering oh yeah have you seen the measurement for the leg length discrepancy or ever had it done to you so you're you're usually lying on your back and something happens you get your legs get like kind of shaken out like you're supposed to be loosey goosey and then <laughs> right. you get pulled to the edge of the table oh yeah and yeah, yeah. The, the clinician or therapist looks down and they say oh looks like you have a, one leg longer than the other i'm gonna say that's about an inch hey quick question for you are you someone who wants to be fit healthy and happy And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG. And we are the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. Right. And they just kind of eyeball, they just like look at you lying there with your feet at the edge and then they eyeball mm-hmm. it. Like, God. Mm-hmm. So they must compare what, like the feet, whether they're side to side, yeah, with, like the pelvis. Well, or they, they go up to the pelvis. I don't know if that way. matters because, <laughs> because you, it, it could be, you can measure the leg length, you can measure leg length as the distance mm. from the greater trochanter to the medial or lateral malleolus. So, mm-hmm, which those are ankle. the ankle. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's how you measure leg length and you could do that on both sides. But when they're looking at a leg length discrepancy, they're just saying, well, when you're on your back in supine, if your feet don't right. meet oh, I the see same, what you're saying. if they're not even with each other, it doesn't matter whether it came from a true bone length difference mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. whether it was something at the hip that was then causing it. It's just, this is the result 
of everything that's happening above, I see that you have a one or two inch difference. And then they'll do some sort of hocus pocus and they'll remeasure it and they'll say, see, they we will. fixed like your, what, we Travis, fixed what your will leg they do? What will they, what's an example of what they'll do? They, well, they could do anything. Um, um, some could, like fascial really quote release. They might they could do that. Release your fascia. They could uh, activate reset. muscles. Sorry. They could re reset you. your pelvis. Yes. With some manual they therapy. They could, right. yeah, they could do some muscle activation. Um, they could, I don't know, spin the tail on the donkey and then they oh, measure it twice. <laughs> and right. uh, perfect. Now they measure it at the up. end and they're like, now your feet are even. I fixed you. Like you were, yep. you were broken. There was something wrong with you. I fixed you. And like, yeah, you but know. you'll have to come back again mm -hmm. two times a week. We'll keep, you so know, I keep realigning you're gonna go, you. You're going to go out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. your, your leg length is going to get all whacked up again. So living your life. I know we're talking about you and I are talking about this a little bit, like we're um, sarcastically or like kind of like we're joking. Um, but I, I guess just to like this establish is actually that what happens. this is actually what happens. And for people who may not realize, like I think there are a lot of people who that's just their regular experience when they go to say a chiropractor or their physical therapist, they might not know that these techniques are actually quite questioned. Right, Travis? Right. Uh. Yeah, they yeah, because a medical provider is giving you a diagnosis or a label or a, a finding of their assessment, and then they're doing an intervention that they they themselves likely believe in, mm -hmm, and then mm -hmm. they're remeasuring you and seeing something different, and then you're maybe feeling something different, mm -hmm. and you're walking out all fixed up and feeling great. And so, I that's I don't want to discount that experience entirely right. Uh, right but i think we can there's good evidence showing that all phases of that experience yes. should be questioned <laughs> right and that for sure someone could feel better after a treatment like that like because uh, assuming they went to the the chiropractor whoever the clinician is assuming they went in with a painful complaint and that's why they're there they might feel better afterward but it's not necessarily the case that the reason they feel better is because the clinician realigned their leg length discrepancy. It could be so many things, aren't there? Like almost innumerable contextual factors that could come into play that could influence someone to feel better because pain, as we know, is a, is a complex multifactorial experience and many different inputs aside from just like body alignment can affect it. So if you really trust your clinician and you, you really believe that uh, what they're saying is true. And then they're telling you that you were misaligned and they put you back into alignment. They yeah. And they you put that. their hands on you. There's yes. Neural they touched there. you. And there's just psychosocial like belief. Like I believe you, like you're telling me I was out of alignment. Now you're telling me I'm back in alignment. I should feel better. So there's, <laughs> we could, could we call that placebo is with that? Is that, I know placebo could be a yeah. complicated term. Yeah. But just like the idea yeah. that your belief in something being efficacious yeah. or having positive effects that can manifest in you actually feeling better without anything mm -hmm. actually really changing. Yeah. Expectation bias. Mm -hmm. So I guess just to throw out there, just in case people were wondering, like, why are they talking about these types of treatments? Like they're joking about them. It's, it's just that. It's just that in that um, it doesn't really like there's a lot of questioning of those types of techniques these days. And in general, that type of treating people for pain doesn't seem to be super support. It's not very evidence based because mm -hmm. pain is so complex. Mm -hmm. 
So we were using the example of the leg length discrepancy because that's just a very common um, scapegoat or something that gets blamed for pain. You know, it's like and uh, someone knows that they have pain or a clinician knows you have pain. So then they just go about looking for something that looks off and then they blame it on that. Yeah. And leg length discrepancy is just such a big, such a common one. Uh, but, but what is actually known from research on leg length discrepancies is that 95% of people, of uh, people like healthy people, 95% of us have a leg length discrepancy to a Feels certain good degree. to be in the normal category. Exactly. Exactly. So I think this is maybe a good place to point out that when we're talking about these asymmetries today, kind of keeping in mind that there is a difference between minor asymmetries and like major or more significant asymmetries. Right. And Travis, I feel like you're an example of like a major or very significant asymmetry. Yeah. Um, whereas a lot of the like, uh, blaming and fear-mongering that comes in in like the realms of yoga movement fitness rehab is more in the minor asymmetry category, I think that's right? the the crux of the issue isn't it i'm glad you think so right so i think what we're trying to raise awareness about and question is um blaming people's pain or, or the idea that they're going to have pain in the future if they have mm. these asymmetries blaming them on these minor asymmetries i think that's important to kind of point out so when we said um, you know, that clinicians will fix someone's asymmetry or lay them out on the table and look at their feet. And as you said, it's like they'll, they'll see like a difference of like an it's like these small differences, right, that, that, mm -hmm. that they might see. An maybe, maybe an inch actually would be big. I think so. They're seeing they're seeing half an inch or centimeters or like a small from what from some of the research I was looking at, it seems like pretty, pretty small distances. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And so it's just these ideas that like, I see this really tiny, like I need eagle eyes to see it, a difference in like your leg length. And that's making this huge impact in your body as far yeah, as- Yeah, which is also, if you just did the test two times in a row, maybe the other leg would come out longer the next time when, right. when you're talking about that smaller divisions, just because oh, of really the way that your point. hips shifted on the table. It's just not a very totally. repeatable test. Right. Um, could you say that it's maybe not a very reliable test? Like it's not necessarily accurately telling you right. what you think it is? Yes. Or just, yeah. Because, yeah. So reliability is the reproducibility or repeatability of or consistency of a measurement such that if you take it two times in a row, you get roughly the same measurement both times. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. Right. So in many cases of leg length discrepancies where that's kind of pulled out and blamed as a scapegoat for pain, in many cases, the difference is actually really tiny. And what we know is that 95% of healthy people, asymptomatic people, which means like they have no symptoms of pain in this context, they mm -hmm. have leg length, like we almost all of us do up to a certain point. And from what I read, there's um, the research uh, review that's like a two-parter, Knudsen 2005, we'll link it in the show notes, but uh, it's anywhere up to like 20 millimeters, it seems, is like really normal leg length difference. And that's anywhere beyond 20 millimeters or two centimeters. That's considered like a little bit more, like something that you might, you may want to look at or consider when you're looking at what's mm -hmm. going on in someone's body. I think, and I think the conversion is 2.54 centimeters is one inch. So. Okay. We're talking. Okay. Yeah. Eight tenths of an inch. That's, that's right. So if someone has a leg length discrepancy, that's, that's greater than eight tenths of an inch. 
then maybe maybe research would suggest that that's like that's something to to consider when you're looking at what's going on for someone mm -hmm. but less than that it's just like it's actually very normal in in most people like we're just we're not really symmetrical side to side uh, and it's just, it's, so it's, it's questionable because of that, that lets us know that it's really questionable that something like a leg, leg length difference from side to side, a minor, remember we're talking, we're kind of talking minor asymmetries. It's not very likely that something like that would actually be a main contributing factor to someone's pain. Do you think, is that correct to say? I agree. <laughs> right. And keeping in mind, we're talking as, minor. As an expert in leg length <laughs> discrepancies from personal experience. That's right. That's right. You totally are. Don't so we kind of sweat a small leg length discrepancy. Precisely. And I think we can probably take this idea and apply it to so many other minor yeah. asymmetries, right? In the body. Right, right. So we've talked about one leg being functionally longer than another, mm -hmm. but there are many other anatomical alignments, right? Or postures mm -hmm. where mm -hmm. the same basic rule applies that's where, right where, where people will blame them for pain but yeah and and usually those things are small mm -hmm. and if they are really severe then sure that could be problematic but in most cases right. a lot of people are going to have small differences in right. it could be other things in the lower body it could be things in the upper body and we mentioned a few examples, like one shoulder might be higher than the other, or if you look at someone's pelvis, like one side of the pelvis might be a little higher yeah. than the other. Yeah, people love to take those still shots against yes. the, the grids in the, the PT That's clinics, right. and then there are whole apps for this. Like, oh, we're going to measure your posture. Mm-hmm. And, and like your imbalance. What is that? Because <laughs> yeah, you're, you're imbalanced because yeah. your right shoulder is mm -hmm. one millimeter lower than your left shoulder. <laughs> and that's why you have pain. Like it's just therefore that's why you have right. pain. Or that's if why you, you don't... have pain, or that's that you're gonna ha you're gonna get pain. We have to fix that. Exactly. So I guess just really emphasizing this this message that the human body, like we the human body is naturally variable, like from one another. We are like we all fault. There's like a certain pattern that the human body follows but there's so much variability between individuals mm -hmm. but then within the same individual it's completely natural for there to be uh, asymmetry all all through the body right like right we're yeah. not just like paper dolls that you just like cut in half yeah well even because our our insides are different from left to right right just a quick moment to interject and to thank you for listening to this episode of the Yoga Meets Movement Science podcast. As you can probably tell from this conversation, Travis and I value taking an evidence-based approach to the body and movement, which means incorporating insights from scientific research into our practice and teachings. We channel our understanding of movement science into our Strength for Yoga remote group training offering which is a monthly strength program we created to make strength training accessible and relevant for yogis. Our program empowers yogis in both their yoga practice and their whole life in general. Our Strength for Yoga program also comes with unlimited access to my full yoga class library. Use code PODCAST30 for 30% off your first month in our program or your first month in any other membership on my website. You can learn more and sign up at JennyRawlings.com, and the link is in the show notes. And now back to our episode. Yeah, well, even because our, our insides are different from left to right, right? 
That's right. Our, our internal organs, some of them are on the left, some of them are on the right, or at least more left than right. A hundred percent. I feel like that's a huge realization. When I first learned that, I was like, whoa. And it just, I could think we don't, we don't tend to learn. I mean, unless you've studied, um, you know, anatomy, physiology in the body, I think people just assume because on the outside, superficially, we look like we're the same side to side. You mm -hmm. might just assume that inside we're the same side to side, but from our insides out, we're, we're different. And it's, it's that way on purpose. Like our organs, they function optimally, like in these asymmetrically placed positions, for example, right, Travis, like your, um, your liver is on the right in your body and then your mm -hmm. stomach and your spleen are on the left, right? It's not like, they're not just all down along the center. Mm -hmm. Your two lungs are different. Like the left lung has two lobes and your right lung has three lobes. So they're, they're not the same. Your heart is relatively kind of center, but it's actually like the bottom part of the heart is like curves off to the left. So it's like more pointed to the left. And the, the different ventricles left and right have different functions, yeah. right? Right, right. They exactly. It's just not, yeah, it's not the same inside side yeah, to so side. Why would it have to be the same on the outside? <laughs> exactly. And, and that's like our internal organs, but there's also just it, it. And then I mentioned earlier, we look at people and think, superficially externally we're the same side to side but if you actually like peer in and look closely at just anyone or yourself like look at your face and draw a line down you can see like your two eyes probably are slightly different your ear you know like things just or your mouth like the corners of your your not nostril size and shape that was one that i when i was reading some research one of the papers you sent me they talked mm -hmm. about nostril size like it can be different side to side and that's like normal yeah so, I mean, that's just, when you get down to the details, you can really see that, um, yeah. Let, and that's just like um, like the face, but uh, what about like our bones and our joints in general? Yeah, well, so are they born perfectly symmetrical? And then when they adapt, do they stay mm -hmm. perfectly symmetrical? And then if they don't, which they don't, <laughs> why would we try to impose that's right. External artificial rules about trying to stand and move perfectly symmetrically. Exactly. I, I think because it's like, as I mentioned way back in the intro, like it just seems intuitive, right? Like I think we just intuitively think symmetry just must be better. Balance must mm -hmm. be better. Mm -hmm. But it's really not taken into account, like you said, the way the body adapts, uh, the way our genetics just determine like the form of our body. And um, yeah, often when people have asymmetries, like for example, say like one foot turns out more than the other, that's a really common one that's mm -hmm. often spotted. And like someone like a physical therapist might try to quote, correct that. And someone like you need to, um, that was what I, what I was taught in that alignment yeah. training I took. And then I tried, oh. to, I tried to impose that on, on Craig, my husband, cause he has pretty turned out feet. And I was like, yeah, you know, that's going to lead because I learned this stuff in the training. This is a, this isn't so much like asymmetry, but it's just more like the feet are not aligned straightforward. Right. I had been taught that was going to lead to all of this, like, like back pain and dysfunction. And I tried to get Craig to straighten his feet and point them forward. Poor guy. I know it, it wasn't very, it you wasn't didn't good. know any better. So at my, a friend of mine did have an ace. He had one side that was turned out. And a he, foot turned out. Yeah, he's a marathon runner, Ooh. and I don't know. I think it was he decided that he was going to try to fix this. I don't know that fix, quote unquote. I don't know that it was oh, a physical that someone therapist. Told him. So, yeah, 
maybe, but, but anyway, he, he went into his new running season. He's like, I'm going to run with my right foot straight toed. And he got hurt. He did. He did. So not a lot. It's not funny that he got hurt, but he got like really hurt to the point where he needed a lot of physical therapy and he had to quit running for a little while. He's back now. He's doing great. He's now lets his toe do what it do wants what as it far as towing does. out and doesn't try to correct, quote unquote, something that doesn't need to be correcting and actually turned out to be counterproductive to try to correct. Because his hip orientation, what's that antiversion if you're if you're more towed out? I think I think that's retroversion if you're more towed okay. out. I get confused well, on them, but I like I don't I don't know I think either. it's retroversion. Well, We'll let the people they're confusing the I, I yeah I, I i actually had a student ask me that um, really in in class um last semester and so i'm like i don't know i gotta get back to you and then i found some really great pictures like top down <laughs> like uh cartoons of what retroversion oh, and yes, introversion yes. were and i included I them in my about. slides uh for the next class and he didn't show up <gasps> what <laughs> he skipped to the next class but he probably watched so, the recording right I'm, it was recorded you know, well, just to finish yeah. the story and give you all the weeds, uh, it, we, we were reviewing for the exam on the next class period. So there really, I don't even know if I recorded it or if there was a need to watch the review. Uh, we just I see what game. you're saying. So, so he, anyway, it, he, he asked a great question. Know. I couldn't answer it in the moment. I did my darndest to rectify yeah. that. And then it was all for naught. Um, well, at least, I, you I, know. I, I like got there ready. I was like, Hey, we have, oh, he's not here. <laughs> well, I just love that though. I think it's great. Like it's, um, it's so good to just know when you don't know something. And when someone asks you a question, the best thing you can do is say, I don't know, but I'm going to look into it's it true. and try to get you an answer. It's true. And that's what you did. I don't know, but I'm going to get back to you. Right. Or, exactly. Or, or can you rephrase the question? Right. Right. But it's in any op- case. Obfuscator. Right, totally. So when someone's feet are turned out, and that se- that seems to be pretty pretty common in my experience, but there is um, also like what's colloquially called pigeon toed, where like the feet turn in, which is kind of the other direction. But in general, um, there are these ideas that your feet should well. There's the idea that they should point straight forward, and that's that's just not that's, that the human body doesn't need to look like that. But then there are there are ideas about if they're asymmetrical, if one points out more than the other, then that's an asymmetry, and we need to correct that. And as we can see, it's that's probably not the case. Your body is probably long adapted to that being your alignment. And it just, it knows mm-hmm. how to, it absorbs the force well and everything is good. And by imposing a change, like in that top-down manner, sometimes we can do more harm than good, like your friend. Right, who... right. So my friend, when he was running, but I think that also applies in an exercise and yoga context too, mm-hmm. in terms of all the different foot positions especially when you're talking about certain poses that have a prescribed somewhat alignment, right? Where it's like, all right, toes forward for chair pose. A hundred percent. feet hip width apart. And it's like, well, it might feel better to me to have my left. Well, honestly, it does like have my left toes forward and my right toes out or my left leg slightly forward because I don't have dorsiflexion on my prosthetic ankle. That's right. And like, of course, I'm an extreme example, but that's it's fine to uh, illustrate the idea mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. we don't need to be perfectly symmetrical. And an asymmetrical stance might just be what feels and is best for 100%. us in, in our posture. 
And thanks for uh, mentioning that as far as yoga goes, because for sure, these ideas about like symmetry totally are brought into yoga. And you describing that difference, like for you and chair pose, it just, it uh, brought up a memory for me of being, um, so my main yoga mentor is Jules Mitchell. Many of our listeners are probably familiar with her. She's super smart and amazing. But I was in her, uh, I took, I did my 500 hour with her. And I just remember you gave me a flashback to one day she was talking about Warrior Two. Mm-hmm. And Warrior Two, that's, you know, one foot forward, one foot back. And it's always taught, I mean, generally taught that those back, the back toes should angle forward a certain degree. So, you know, so rather than that foot being parallel with the back edge of the mat, the toes should angle forward a certain amount, maybe 20 to 30 degrees. It kind of depends on who you're talking to. But she was just kind of showing like this one student in our class. And because of her hip structure, it just was much more comfortable for her to not only be in warrior two with the foot parallel to the back edge of the mat, but actually beyond that to have the toes pointing back, which is like, yeah, to to a yoga teacher or a yoga student who's just, just, it really, like you could see the reactions to the people, like all all of the trainees were like, what are you talking about? Like you can't do warrior two with the toes pointing away from you, the back toes. That's crazy. It really, I mean, but yes. And what I think is maybe most notable about that is just the reactions of, of the, of, you know, the students to hearing that, like so entrenched in the yoga world and these ideas about it must be one way. And if you do, Mm -hmm. you know, the pose, if it's an asymmetrical pose and you do it on both sides, it must be the same on both sides too. Mm. And if, if it isn't, there's something wrong and you need to look at like what that imbalance is. Or, or in yeah, yoga, I feel get like that this... leg length discrepancy. Too, yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, there's also often in the yoga world um, questions about like range of motion. You know, flexibility tends to be a focus in yoga. So it'll mm-hmm. be like when I do this, um, say it's a Janya Shashasana, which is a one legged forward fold, like one leg is straight and then the other leg is folded in. That's Janya Shashasana. Mm-hmm. Um, I just. I've seen this one as an example come up often because your stre- your hamstring stretching only on that one leg and people will often uh, remark that they're different on both sides. You know, like I, I can go further on this one side and less far and like that must be like, what's wrong with me? And what mm-hmm. do I need to do to like even that out? Mm-hmm. But it could just very well be. It's just their structure, or just the way that their body is like dictating how far they go. And it isn't necessarily something that's wrong and that needs to be fixed, right? Yeah, it just depends. Depends, depends. But how mm-hmm. how big of a difference is it, and is it really affecting them? Mm-hmm. Exactly right. Just like you said, because yeah. there's minor and there's major, right? Like mm-hmm. those two general categories. And but it just seems like people like to blow out of proportion of the minor stuff and make it bigger than it is. Mm-hmm. So with regard to yoga, kind of talking about alignment in yoga poses, um, there is also this idea that I mentioned earlier where I tend to see the symmetry question kind of come up a lot in the yoga world is in this idea that yoga sequences need to be taught so that everyone does, so that we do the same thing on both sides in yoga. Mm -hmm. And can't teachers like not sleep at night if they realize like they're going to bed and they're like, oh my goodness, I forgot to teach like the part 3C of that sequence on the second side. Now my students are walking around like they can only turn left like Zoolander. (laughs) And like, I, I'm, I feel horrible. 100%. And that's that's so sad. That's what happens, right? Yes, that definitely happens. Because it's so sad for the students or for the teacher. Where are you asking me? Like, oh, it's, I think it's more sad for the teacher, right? 
Yeah. Because it doesn't really matter for the students. No, think of all of the stuff that we're doing on one side the rest of the day. <laughs> right? Like all day long, we just do stuff in our right. life. Right. So like every time you, um, like a good example that you brought to my mind in our brainstorming was getting into the car. Mm-hmm. So you like every time you get in the car to drive, do you like get out of the car, get in on, and out of the car on the other side Obviously, just to even it out? Even it out. <laughs> yeah. Nobody does that, but we don't think to Maybe. question that. We're not like, this is a problem yeah. that I always get in the car on the same side. Like, why don't we question that? Maybe or, we um, should. Right. Actually, yeah, maybe we're bringing attention to that. Like everybody, <laughs> everybody make sure that every time you get in the car on the right, you do one rep of the left. Yeah, exactly. That's so funny. I guess you have so to many. do it at the end of driving. So like once you get to the place, then you because if you got into the car, got out of the car, got into the car <laughs> on the other side, then you'd still have to get. You still oh, well, to get no. back in. No. Yeah. Travis? So wait, this is a good. Didn't you? historically have a door issue <laughs> i did a car door issue I, yeah. you have such a good memory i do the driver's side instance. car door in our car our car that we actually just recently sold we don't have it anymore but it didn't open from the inside like the handle didn't work so uh there was like a thing where i forget maybe it was, oh i know it was the window had to be rolled down and then you had to reach your hand out the window and open it from the outside in order mm -hmm. to open it from the mm -hmm. inside but sometimes like I would turn the car off forgetting and then the window would be rolled up and I would be like, oh, I can't get out and I can't roll the window down because it's electric. You know, I need the car on. Yeah. So I either have to start the car again to roll the window down or, or what could I do? <laughs> I don't know. You're stuck. Or I can't get out of the car or I can climb monkey style to over the little that console in between and just get into the passenger side and then I can get out there because that door thankfully works just fine. Perfect. But now look at all of these reps that mm -hmm. you've done in one direction. You totally. now knowing that in the back of your head, you're going to have trouble sleeping tonight. You should be doing that. If you're ever in the passenger side, you should be getting out the driver's side. You're so right. Because I don't know if I've out. ever done that. But yes, these are all that's that's a silly but an accurate example that really did happen to, for, in our car. But in general, we just have so many examples in daily life where we do things that are not it's that are not the same on, on sides. And that's fine because something that I found was I thought was like a really interesting realization when I learned this about the way that our brain connects to controls and moves our body is like our brain doesn't necessarily chunk our body into two halves side to mm -hmm. side. Like it doesn't necessarily think of our body the way that we arbitrarily, like when we're talking about the body, we layer on these ideas, but the brain is not like, that's my left half. That's my right half. It, it just thinks of the whole, like the whole organism, the whole body that it's moving. And um, it doesn't like chunk us up that way. So it's not like we necessarily need to arbitrarily layer that on and create these standards or ideals based on something that it's not really how our brain moves our body anyway. Mm -hmm. So if you forgot the second half of the sequence on the second side. Yeah, to bring us back no, to that, yes. No worries. Thank you for, I think that it would um, reassure many people to know that it's really not a big deal. You know what too, like I think for as much as teachers try to make things even on both sides, mm -hmm. inevitably almost, I feel like when you do the second side, 
you go faster through it because the first time on the, on the first side, you had to spend time queuing, right? Yes, actually. Yes. So, so I've never thought that before. Oh yeah. I mean, that's been my experience as a student. Um, and it's fine. And I guess if you were striving towards this symmetry, you know, ideal, then you could try to slow yourself down on the second side, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but it's probably not necessary. Because it's it's probably not a big deal, right? (laughs) To have that. Because you're saying when, when a teacher teaches a sequence on one side, it might take a little longer because they have to describe things. Mm -hmm. But then maybe they've gone around the room and they're like working with somebody and now you're in side angle on one Mm. side for five extra breaths and like that's not usually all right well let's make sure we hold side angle on the second side for five extra breaths since we did on the other side it just is it's another great example of yeah yeah exactly and realize that our body is fine and we're naturally asymmetrical we move asymmetrically through life and these minor again it's minor versus major right but like these minor Mm -hmm. differences you forgot warrior two on the second side like it's not it's not something to stress about at all like we cannot worry about that yeah if you if you did warrior two on your right side only for like a month yeah yes well i'm not gonna do it on my left side because i don't like it on the left side well (laughs) now you're starting to develop some asymmetry (laughs) that is right yeah that's that's where it's becoming maybe more of an issue but one nobody does that and two Mm -hmm. uh that's that's much more blatant than oh we forgot to do the pose on the second side exactly exactly so yeah i'm glad we brought this up just to like yeah reassure people that you know it's nice to teach um you know to teach if you're stylistically you want to do the same thing on both sides that's fine but just don't don't overly stress about it or don't even stress about it at all (laughs) if something and if you're a student and not a teacher maybe just you know i doubt students are really give teachers a hard time about that but sometimes maybe they stress. i've i've seen students be like oh we after class, like the teacher forgot this. So I'm just going to do it right now. Like class is over. Mm. I mean, I need to do it in order to feel down. Like I need to be balanced. And so maybe we could all just realize that we're always asymmetrical. It's okay to let stuff like that go. Like our body's really resilient. Um, yeah, just realizations like that. But that does kind of lead us into these ideas of like side to side difference as far as like yoga sequences and doing things differently that way. There are also the question of kind of this other topic we wanted to talk about today, which was just um, more like in the safe fitness and strength and conditioning world when we're getting mm-hmm. into side to side asymmetries there. Like when we're talking, if it's a strength difference between two sides or a balance difference, maybe you could balance better on one side or the other. Um, you've, you've definitely come across uh work on this, uh, research on this in your work, right, Travis? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a big part of my doctoral work was looking at movement screening yes. uh, or movement competency screening or movement quality, whatever you want to talk about, whatever you want to call it, uh, mm-hmm. where you're assessing people's movement, uh, using predetermined tests, move like a battery of movement tests, and then you're rating them sometimes quantitatively and sometimes qualitatively. Mm-hmm. And so there there are two basic paradigms. One is whether you're performing poorly on the test based on whatever the predetermined categories are or, or criteria are. And then the other is within your own body. If you have 
major or minor asymmetries in performance between tests that are performed on the left and right sides. So qualitatively, that could be like, uh, let's say it's like a single leg squat. Mm -hmm. And on one side, you demonstrate good control and balance and strength and all the things, you know, knees not caving in, hips and mm. shoulders are not rotating, they're staying level. Like the alignment um, that we're looking for. Yeah. Well. And so you, you'd rate that a three out of three on the one side. And then on the other side, the knee caves in, the torso rotates. You can't go as mm -hmm. deep. The knee doesn't go past the toe, which you want it to, indicating a lack of dorsiflexion, et cetera, et cetera. And mm -hmm. we give you a one out of three. And now you have this asymmetrical performance. So oftentimes research will look at poor performance. So you're just getting ones out of threes across the board on your tests or it, and or it might look at asymmetries. So it might count up the number of times you have a one and three between your left and right sides. Mm -hmm. And then it'll look and see whether that's related to the development of injuries. So like that's later on. Yeah. So that's the qualitative. There's also quantitatively measuring things like jump distances or hop distances, let's right. say one, one legged hops or uh, like forward or vertical, or it might look at strength from side to side. And then you can quantify that from left to right based on the, like dividing the two numbers. It's like a, ra a ratio. Yep. Take the ratio of one to the other. And usually the, the threshold for that is like 90% or 85%. And that's based on the fact that people who are, so those tests are usually used for people who are recovering from injuries to right. try to get a sense of where people are in their affected side compared to their unaffected side, which is yeah. an imperfect measurement because your unaffected side also tends to detrain in the presence of an injury. But that's, uh, that's, that's what, that's mostly like, that's the best you can do in some cases. Um, and then it, it could also be used just as a, as a prognostic factor in healthy people or not prognostic, a predictive, mm. you know, mm -hmm. try, try to figure out who's at risk. But uh, there's research that has been done on healthy people showing that a 90% symmetry measurement between sides is what Tend, we tend to see in healthy people. So you couldn't then ascribe that to an injured person and say, well, you're less than you're, you know, you're, you're at 90. So you're asymmetrical. Well, people who right. we expect to be symmetrical are that asymmetrical because again, we are inherently asymmetrical, asymmetrical. and a certain degree of that is normal, let's say 10%, but maybe greater than 10%. In, in most injury cases, we're looking to get that asymmetry to less than 10%. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I, I think it, it's a little bit harder looking at healthy people and trying to tease out whether that's a risk. I think right. we're, we're pretty sure that it's a risk for people returning from injuries in terms of re-injury. But yes. for people who are uninjured to say that that is going to be a, a risk factor, it, the evidence is pretty contradictory on that. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, you shared with me in preparation for this episode, a systematic review by Helm at all 2021, uh, titled Does Lower Limb Asymmetry Increase Injury Risk in Sport? A systematic review. And yeah, and I read through that and it basically seemed to conclude that just a, a connection could not be made between like, and yeah, this I is like in healthy I people for I injury think there risk. Were, there were studies 
Yeah, like you said, sides. it was conflicting, right? Yeah, so, some evidence has shown it, some hasn't. The The really interesting thing, I think, is that a lot of studies that have shown it haven't been replicated or they have right. been, an attempt was made to replicate them. Like, let's say one study showed that asymmetrical movement scores increase risk of injury. Then they actually did this one group the author, the first author's name is Chalmers. They redid the study a year later to try to reproduce the findings and they could not. They could not reproduce so, the findings? No, the findings oh. were not. The The second time they did it, they it didn't did not hold show up. that. Yeah. Wow. So so for something to be, to be able to say, okay, let's say this uh, a 10% or 15% difference between sides increases risk of injury in athletes or in a particular group of athletes, basketball players. Well, just one study showing that, that that percentage came from that study. You would want to be able to reproduce that study on a, do, a new cohort of people. Mm -hmm. Maybe again, it's basketball players, or maybe it's a broader collection of athletes and find that that same thing holds true, that same threshold of the 10% or the 15%. Right. Because otherwise it could have just been a chance finding, or maybe it does apply to that the, the basketball players, but not the other athletes, mm, like athletes mm -hmm. in general across other sports. Different so sports. anyway, the point is that just from getting one of the one threshold from one study, you it's 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 an, a data point. But then if you wanted to use it more confidently within that same athletic group or across other athletic groups, you would want to validate that cutoff of 10 or 15 mm -hmm. percent in another study. And that has rarely been done. Right. So that hasn't really been established in the research. And so, yeah, so therefore it seems that it's just really, it's really hard to make a statement that, that asymmetries do necessarily increase or, or inherently increase risk of injury because it's just so conflicting yeah. and repeated studies have not been done to yeah. support so that. So it's makes not sense. to say that it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. It's to say that we don't know. That's <laughs> right. And that's um, asymmetries and their connection to injury risk. But there's also the question of asymmetries and their connection to athletic performance. Yeah. Like having a difference into like you're stronger on one side than the other. Could that hinder? Could that make you uh, worse at your chosen sport because you have that mm -hmm. asymmetry? Right. And I know you know a lot about this and you shared um, uh, the Maloney 2019, that review that I cited back in the intro that gave that um, definition for symmetry. Mm -hmm. But again, it seemed like that was just suggesting that there also had not really been, there's not a link established between asymmetries and athletic performance. Yeah. And I think that oftentimes what you're seeing from an asymmetry standpoint is an adaptation that occurred as a result of participating in the activity in the sport. So if you look at Rafael Nadal's bicep size, or, wait, who or is, like who is Rafael Nadal? The, Oh, sorry. That you don't I don't know. know. Who, wait a second. You don't know who Rafael Nadal is. He's I'm only assuming the, he's like a very famous athlete. He's only the probably best tennis player ever to. Learn. Oh, really? So now, you know, tennis have you players heard of, like a, have you heard of any other tennis players? Serena Williams. Okay. And there's a okay. um, uh, Sampa, Pete Sampa? Pete Sampras, that's a good Sampras, one. Sampras, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's retired. Oh, he, okay, this is like from a while So ago. Rafael Nadal has the most Grand Slams uh, Wait, of anybody. Grand, they do Grand Slams in tennis? I know that from baseball. Okay, so side note, Grand Slams are the, the four major tennis tournaments. 
Wimbledon, oh! Australian Open, U.S. Open, and French. That, Sorry that, that I'm so that's okay. You're getting a, we're getting a tennis education with asymmetry. So anyway, uh, Rafael Nadal has a huge difference in his mm. arm size between he, his he dominant arm and his on non-dominant. One side. Yeah, and that is not hindering his performance <laughs> um, because he, right. he hits a. I believe he don't hold me to this, but you can hit a two-hand backhand or a one-hand backhand. And mm. I, it doesn't really matter. The point is that, like, is he gonna bet? Is he gonna be better than the best player ever if he got his right? right so he, I think he's left-handed. Also, don't hold me to that. But anyway, is is his non-dominant arm is strengthening that and making it equi- like equivalizing mm-hmm. it to his dominant arm really going to make him better than the best player ever? That is such a great, thank you for pointing that out. That's an excellent example. So in many cases in sports where it's like asymmetrical demands that if you participate in over, in over, over time, your body will adapt asymmetrically to the sport. And that's like, a, that's a positive benefit, right? Like that, or, or um, you, so you mentioned tennis, but also like baseball, baseball pitchers, baseball batters, any, like any rotational sport athlete. Yeah. I guess golf. I mean, I guess there mm-hmm. are a ton. Yeah. But um, in the case of people who participate in those sports regularly, playing asymmetrically regularly, they're probably just naturally, if you tested them, if you like put them through that battery of tests, you would you would come up with like their different side to side. But it's not in- necessarily inherently a problem, right? No. And if you try to quote unquote fix it, yeah, it could actually uh, interfere with that athlete, like what ma- makes that athlete so successful. So that's why it's very... It's tricky working with high-level athletes like that who do have those asymmetries, especially if they're in pain, because the last thing that you want to do is Mm. work with them on something, you know, you identify an asymmetrical this or that, and then you work on correcting it, and then they're out of pain and their performance is impacted. That would not be good for you. Fine line with that, especially with professional athletes. So I think that's a pretty good look at like side, what what might be called side to side asymmetries or like limb differences, you know, mm-hmm. like um, side to side. If you look at the body from the front and you go left, right. But there yeah. are also asymmetries in terms like you could um, a very common one we tend to hear about. And Travis, you and I talk about this one uh, kind of quite a bit in our work, but. There's like the front to back asymmetry in terms of let, let's think upper body now and like upper body pushing versus upper body pulling strength. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is kind of a common one that, um, like I mentioned, you and I tend to talk about that in our strength for yoga work together because quick recap for people who might not know in the yoga, a yoga practice is very dominant as far as upper body pushing. We're always pushing with our shoulders, pushing the floor away, but we have virtually no no complementary pulling. So we don't really do anything that strengthens the shoulders or the upper body in a pulling manner. And so you could look at that and say that that's an imbalance, right? Like there's a push pull imbalance for the upper body in yoga. I would say that. Yeah. And we do say, we do try to highlight that. Uh, But, and also broader than just the yoga world, there are um, ideas kind of in the, in the broader fitness and strength worlds, Travis, right? About just push pull ratios in general. And these Mm -hmm. ideas that like people should do um, three times as much pulling exercise for the upper body than pushing. Isn't that kind of a common claim? Yeah. It's just made up then. (laughs) What do you mean? People sure say it a lot. 
I know some person at some point in time just pulled that number out of a hat and said three to one. It's the magic ratio to prevent and fix all shoulder issues. Right. uh, It's just, there's not been to my knowledge, any research that has produced a number like that. That's yes. And if there's no research on it, a lot of people just blindly believe it. Like, oh, that must be some magical number. Because it intuitively sounds right or something. Yeah. But if there's no research done on it, then like, what are the claims based on? I guess just like. I I think they're, yeah, I think they're based on the idea that a lot of people just go to the gym and do bench press. Yeah. Which that's a pushing. (laughs) That's a push. No pull. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And so for those people. Maybe because they have been only doing one Mm -hmm. direction for Mm -hmm. an extended period of time, it would behoove them to maybe balance that out by working in the opposite direction in terms of, all right, well, now every one time you do bench press, you have to do, I don't know. Two, three rows or whatever, which is three is pretty impractical. Yeah. Yeah. Two, two rowing or pulling like a pull up or a pull down exercise. Uh, and, and maybe that's fine. And maybe for yoga practitioners who have only ever, their, mm-hmm. their only experience with the movement practice is yoga, that if they were to in, start engaging in a strength training practice, they might bias their training more towards pulling to complement what they're doing mm-hmm. on a yoga mat. Mm-hmm. But the truth is that sometimes or many times they're often not strong in either direction even though they've only been doing pushing that doesn't mean that they can do a really nice chaturanga so it's not just what you've been doing but it's like well what where has that gotten you if if you're weak in both directions then you don't necessarily need to bias one or the other uh you could just like my my general approach is to just do equal amounts of both yeah Absolutely. And that's a really great point that, uh, that it's, you know, pretty established that yoga is a, a pushing dominant style practice, but just because it's a lot of pushing doesn't necessarily mean people are actually getting strong because for, we're not going to talk about it now, but for so many reasons, um, there's, you know, a lack of, of real st- true strengthening, um, in a progressive sense in a yoga context anyway. So it's not like they're super strong in a push. Uh, but it is still a pushing dominant activity, which means that yogis generally have, um, you know, probably really lacked that, that, um, I, that activity of pulling their body towards something, uh, for the whole time that they've been doing yoga, if that's their only movement practice. Mm-hmm. So I feel like you and I, the, um, I can remember back to several years ago now I wrote, Uh-oh. yeah, you know, when I say that, then, you know, right. It's going to be something from a time. <laughs> when maybe I wouldn't explain things the same way I would today. But it was really good. It was like a really good direction. So basically, I wrote this article, uh, I want to say, when was this maybe 2017, that was called, um, does a yoga practice result in um, imbalance, a strength imbalance, that's what it was called. And I basically wrote about how just what we already said, yoga is all pushing, there's no pulling. And I gave examples of what this means so that people would understand. But I suggested in that article, that because of this push-pull imbalance in yoga, that yogis were subjecting themselves to a higher risk of injury 
and a higher mm. risk of pain. That's what I suggested at the time. And I would not, if I were to write an article like that today, I wouldn't include that part because I don't. And when you yeah. and I talk about this, oh, sorry, go on. That might be uh, classified as a nocebo. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Yes, it can be. Yeah, I was including a nocebo. I mean, it was good that I was, I think, good that I was bringing awareness to like, what are the actual movement demands in the yoga? Like, let's look at that, yes, you know? Totally. But I didn't need to paint on top of that, that this could actually predispose you to pain and injury by having, and that you need to do pulling in order to mitigate the injury risk or something. Like, that's where it goes too far, I, mm -hmm. you know? Um, yeah, I just don't think that there's any evidence or compelling evidence. That's, that that's right. True. That's right. So I think in taking a step back and looking at kind of how I might look at it or we might look at it today, because clearly we do try to emphasize this push-pull um, difference in the in yoga. It's not that we're trying to suggest that that means yogis are going to hurt their shoulders. Mm -hmm. It's I think it's just more for them to realize that if full uh, a balanced full body strength is what they're after, like actually targeting their body 360 degrees, they should realize that yoga is not doing that for them. And if that's right. a goal for them, then they might want to bring in strength training. And like we teach in strength for yoga, we include all like uh, targeting the shoulders all the way around for true strength over time. But yeah, I mean, that might, that's the reason to emphasize that to me today. Don't, do you agree? Yes. Yes. And just for the, and for even just a novel input. Yes. And yes. It, it does get complicated when you start talking about Stop, start talking about people who are in pain already, because then you do want to look at what they're doing from a movement standpoint. Yes. And if they're only doing yoga and not doing anything to work the shoulder in other ways, then there could be an argument for adding that and it could contribute Absolutely. to the resolution of their pain. Adding pulling, you mean? But, yeah. But it doesn't necessarily mean, again, that the reason that they start to feel better is because now they've changed the strength balance or symmetry That's of strength right. between sides there's they, they might not even actually change that and then they could start feeling better really fast just because they're doing something different or because they were told mm -hmm. that it was going to make them feel better or <laughs> who knows or it makes why. them feel strong they're like i'm strong in this direction and i didn't realize or i'm building yeah. strength in this pulling direction and i didn't even yeah. know i didn't i lacked that and now i'm building that yeah so so it could it could contribute to feeling better, but we That's don't necessarily right. know that the exact reason that you feel better is because you've restored the symmetry between yes. your pushing and pulling muscles, because we don't even really know there's, 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 there are articles showing like, oh, you should be able to do this. It's the normative data for this many push-ups or this many inverted rows which is like, a, oh, that's how you might compare a body push, weight pull. exercise. Yeah. Yeah. Where you pull yourself up towards the bar. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, there, there are norms for that. And you can look at that in athletes and compare the push up strength to the pulling strength and maybe show some sort of ratio between those things. But it's not, it's not like very definitive, I would say. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Like how, how are we even assessing the strength and balance and. Yeah. And again, what is the magnitude of this difference? If you, I have a friend who's a rock climber mm -hmm. and she's, I would say fairly atypical, at least maybe not among rock climbers, but among average people walking around in that she can do a bazillion pull-ups. Like 
she could do a set of 10 pull-ups, no problem. And she would not be able to do 10 push-ups. And this is because rock climbing is a pulling sport, right? Because you're mm -hmm. pulling yeah, yourself you're pulling, toward the rock. Yeah. And like climbing up a wall. So mm -hmm. it's all back muscles and very little pushing yourself away. That's right. That's such a good example. So she's adapted in the opposite. Like most people, people they're going to have a way. much easier time learning to do a push-up than they are going to be able to get a pull-up. Which is a perfect pulling exercise. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yet she's the opposite. She's the opposite. She can do pull-ups all day, but her push-ups are not Wow. So because her, her forte. Her dominant activity is a pulling one, then she's mm -hmm. just like stronger that way, which that's like, yeah, that seems like kind of a, a surprise. Like it's not what you picture with most people. Yeah. So for her, she definitely shouldn't be doing a three to one pulling to pushing ratio. That's right. It's But it's it all just, case dependent. And I think that's with so many of the things and the questions that we talk about, it's often like about context and about the individual, right? Mm-hmm. I certainly think for longtime yogis who have yoga has been their main form of a movement practice and it's all push. If they're interested in um, in just full body strength, then bringing in pulling is great and doing something like a well-rounded strength program is great. Um, but it's just it just depends on the person. We can't just like slap a standard or a label on everyone and be like, everyone needs a three to one pull push ratio. Yeah, that's the I mean, I hate when people make those sweeping generalizations but that's the the crux of it is that how can you say that for everybody let alone the logistical challenges of are you really going to do three sets of pulling for every, <laughs> like what does that even look like like realistically in a workout yeah. like yeah, your I, time. okay so if i do 10 push-ups right now then i have to go to do 40 rows mm-hmm that's just not gonna <laughs> yeah that doesn't really i don't think you need and i don't think you need to like eye for eye, tit for tat that, you know? Right. Uh, I think that's a really good, it's just so easy to oversimplify things and see them in that. Yeah. yeah. Eye for Which eye. is exactly the same. We, we're talking front to back. It's exactly the same as what we just said with side, side to, to side. side. Yeah. yeah. Although yes. with the, with the side to side thing, one thing I will say is like, we, we were saying that you don't need to worry about, like, don't sweat the minor differences. Yes. But if you are, let's say you're engaging in a strength training practice and you notice like, oh, I yes. can do, you're doing a single arm dumbbell or kettlebell overhead press. Yeah. And you find that you can do like 10 reps on one side and six on the other with that weight. Like That's a pretty big difference, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's a 60% uh, or a 40% difference. Um, that could be a case where you would want to, Yes. Work on e equalizing those or equilibrating those by doing a little bit more on the weaker side. And that's what you have told um, the many people. We've gotten this question quite a bit in our strength yeah. for yoga, like with our community. People ask that a lot because they notice like, mm -hmm. hey, I can do more on this side. And um, that's usually what you suggest, right? Is it depends yeah. on like how big the strength difference is. But yeah, if you're doing nine reps on one side and 10 on the other, like... No right. Biggie. That's not a biggie. But, yeah. Um, right. And so I guess to kind of just start to round out uh, this whole conversation and all these little details that we can look at with regard to asymmetry and symmetry and kind of reemphasizing that point about there being a difference between minor asymmetries and major asymmetries. 
how they might affect our bodies and how we might think about them differently. So coming back to you and your body, Travis, and how you are in this beautiful body that is, oh, a, thank you. we would say, you're welcome, a major asymmetry. Um, I wonder if you just have a couple thoughts to share with us about like your experience in your body, maybe with, um, maybe with regard to yoga or really just anything that you'd like to share with us, but just. Sure. Well, yoga is an interesting one. I don't know if I've talked about this before, but like coming to a yoga practice, mm -hmm. especially when I was first starting out, like, I don't know, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I don't know. And like the teacher doesn't know how to often work with me. And mo like yeah. most teachers are, are good. Like they, mm -hmm. they're helpful and they find creative ways to do things. But the, the, Back, to backtrack, I don't do everything the same on both sides. Yes, right. <laughs> uh, and so, you, so yeah. sometimes that's like, I, that might mean I do the same side twice because there's mm -hmm. no point in doing the and other doing side. The other side, or I can't, I just can't do it. Like a, a tree pose, right? I just I stink at balancing on my prosthetic side because you uh, have no um, knee control, right? Or is that what I have, yeah, I have no ankle or knee control. So in the prosthetic it's just, leg. Yeah, it's all like all of my balancing strategy has to come from my hip. Yeah. Which is as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode also relatively weak or or is relatively weak. Uh, and then just like stacking my shoulders over like mm -hmm. like centering my center of mass over my foot. So anyway, it, it's tricky for me to balance. Therefore, sometimes I'll do the same thing on two sides. And you, or, don't really worry, you don't worry about that. Like, I'm going to be imbalanced now. Well, <laughs> like, you know, people I, might. I, I mean, everything that I do, like I take every step, every set of stairs that I go up, I take, I go up with my right leg because I can't go. I don't have active knee extension. So right. I, like my whole right. day is spent 70% on one side and 30% on the other. And it's, it's something that I, I try to go against my hab habitual pattern. Mm -hmm. You know, if I, if I notice myself leaning into one side more than the other, but at the same time, like I'm more likely to fall over <laughs> if I have more right. weight in my prosthetic yeah. side, yeah. I'm just much more yeah. stable on my, my other side. So, um, I don't do things I, like in a yoga class, I don't do things exactly the same on both sides and I don't yeah. worry about it, yes. um, but I, 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 love I don't, that you don't, I don't do things on the same on both sides in general. And I think a lot of people yeah. don't. And they probably don't, again, they probably don't worry about it in their day to day. And if they are worrying about it on the yoga mat, maybe they can, maybe the, the realization that they don't worry about it on their, their day to day might help themselves feel mm -hmm. a little bit less, um, worried about it on the yoga mat. But anyway, uh, teachers usually just let me be and let me, let me do my thing. Yeah. Um, or they, or they might come up with creative suggestions for how, I can modify a pose on my affected side so that I'm getting the benefit, even if it's not looking exactly the same. Absolutely. And that's, you know, that's true for anybody, anytime. Yeah. Yeah. Sides, as we've been talking about, sides are different. And sometimes you have to do things differently from one side to the other. I, I just often have to do things differently and sometimes very mm -hmm. differently. Mm -hmm. And so I've found ways to do that. And, um, I, over over time in a yoga setting and in a strength and conditioning setting, but it, always the first time it's like, all right, well, I have to figure this out. What am I going to do? 
And yeah. it's, it's inevitably a learning process as with right. anybody and, and anybody's body of what's going to work best for me and knowing that it's not going to be the same on both sides and that's okay. Mm-hmm. But totally. how, how can we, how can we, it's a evolve ever evolving thing of how can we make this better on so I can get some benefit out of it on the second side. That's right. And I, I suppose as long as you're exposing yourself to new activities or a yoga class where there are new movements all the time, then it is just naturally going to be continually evolving. Like that's just not, that's not going to stop. So I'll always mm-hmm. just like, yeah, figuring out how you, how you can fit your body into um, what's being offered or make that yeah. work for you. And I, I'm 32 years old and I just discovered that I could sort of do pigeon or a, something pigeon-like <laughs> With my prosthetic leg forward, I I could never get comfortable bending that knee and trying to like get pigeon leg on the front of the mat. Is that because May- of like the hip rotation? The rotation? Yeah, yeah. I just would like fall over, and maybe okay. putting a block underneath mm-hmm. that hip, mm-hmm. the, the hip of the pigeon leg would help. But what I realized was I don't have to bend that front leg. I could just have that <gasps> forward what? in like more all the of way. like a. Yeah. Or, or, you know how we said we don't have to have that thigh or the shin perfectly parallel to the mat. So maybe that leg is kind of going at an oblique angle, kind of like it would in pigeon if the shin were, if it were at like a 45 degree angle. Yeah. And then I'm just, I don't know, finding a way where I can do it without falling over. Maybe I need a couple of blocks underneath me, but I'm still feeling like I'm getting some of that rotational hip stretch. Um, and but like that's before, so I just did great. it on my did it on my right leg both time. Like that's right what you side, do. Left side, just... I did right right because it felt good. I'm like, yeah. All right, I got to do double like the time in pigeon. I like yeah. pigeon. But then recently, I found like oh, I can. I don't have to bend that knee because nothing. I don't have muscles crossing the knee yeah. that make it different for whether I straighten or bend the that's knee. That's right. So I can just. It doesn't matter. And it looks kind of funky, but. Doesn't look the same on both sides. Yeah, it's totally okay as long as I'm feeling what I want to be feeling. That is so cool. And after like I don't know, 16 years of a yoga practice for you now, like you finally discovered that. Took me a long time. That's super cool. I want to see that pigeon setup of yours. That's I'm so glad you've discovered that. And I would just like to reflect to you that you are one of the, if not the most impressive person that I know in so many ways. Like for compared to people who were born with two legs, you are still incredible. I don't know if our listeners really know this about you, but you're a super um, uh, really advanced, like I guess I would say advanced, that's not the best word, but you're just a super impressive athletic person. You can do all of these amazing like calisthenics. You're the strongest person in the upper body I've ever seen. I have an advantage because I'm lighter in the lower body. Because you don't have that leg. Yeah. Advantage, it's I still... weigh about 15 or 20 pounds less than the average person of my stature who has two legs. So that is a favorable, mm-hmm. it comes in, comes in handy for exercises where body weight and upper body totally. strength. Totally. See, like game. human flag, like some of these calisthenic things that you can do, like the human flag is one, right? Mm-hmm. And um, a front lever. I don't know if mm-hmm. our listeners know all these, but um, yeah. And of course, crazy variations of pull-ups and muscle-ups. Uh, I watched you do over thirty pull-ups in a row. Like you, like like you. It's just yeah, it's very impressive for for they people were, for whom like one pull-up is like they a were huge one at a time. Pull. 
but I did do 30 in a short amount of time. Yeah, you did. My so life anyway. goal is to do 30 in a row, but I'm not there yet. Oh, I did 27 okay. once. That was my best. That's right. So just to emphasize, like, you've just, you're, you're such an achiever, you know, and you've done. Well, thanks. So and I think that and... that's like the, the point, right? So, um, small yeah. asymmetries are nothing to write home about, but even big asymmetries mm -hmm. don't mean the end of the world. No. And I'm living proof. I love that you emphasize that. <laughs> I think it's a great takeaway point that, yeah, from a, yeah. From a, from a function standpoint, there's much that having a, a really significant asymmetry doesn't prevent you from doing. And in fact, for me, it has allowed me to do many That's other right. things. That's right. And so looking at, at it in that way is just like even more reassuring and more positive. And yeah, this through this whole conversation, we've kind of been talking about there are minor asymmetries that we don't need to worry about. And then there are major ones. And as though it was like implying you inherently need to worry about those. And it's not, that's not the case clearly. Yeah. Um, well, it's just not a doom yes. and gloom scenario. Yes. It does not need to be doom and gloom. And someone yeah. like you are just, you're such an inspiration and an amazing example of that. Well, so thank thanks. You. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for, for just, yeah, sharing about some of your experience. And I hope for some of our listeners who maybe didn't realize that about you and your body and your movement, maybe they've, they can get to know you a little bit more this way and appreciate some of what you've accomplished, which is just a time. Well, thanks. You're welcome. I'm more than just a smart <laughs> brain. You are, but you're that too. I mean, that's just yet one of an, another reason why I'm very impressed with you. And I feel very lucky to get to collaborate with you on so many things, including this podcast and our strength for yoga offering. So yeah, Travis yeah. is a gem. People should, everyone should realize that. <laughs> well, I'm equally lucky. Well, thanks for saying that. And with all of that, Travis, do you think we've kind of done a pretty thorough job discussing asymmetry and hitting on some good points? I do. I do. <sighs> I do too. I think we covered, um, yeah, really good material on this topic. And I hope our listeners leave having learned some new and interesting uh, information about this and just maybe maybe a shifted perspective about symmetry and asymmetry so thanks so much for listening and thank you for having this conversation with me travis thank you jenny and that wraps up our look at the surprising science of asymmetry injury and yoga remember to use code podcast 30 for 30 percent off your first month in any of the memberships on my website including Travis's and my Strength for Yoga remote group training program. You can learn more and sign up at jennyrawlings.com and the link is in the show notes. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Yoga Meets Movement Science today. And if you found this discussion to be of value, you could really support us by subscribing to this podcast and leaving us a rating or a review. We look forward to seeing you in our next episode soon.